Well, good morning. All right, guys, before I jump into the message this morning, you know, we've been committing our summer to taking on what we call the, the giant problem of pace. And, and we worked through a couple of, of different messages. We've talked about pace because it touches all of our lives. It's a s- systemic problem. Once you have pace problems, it'll touch every aspect of your life. Last week, we talked about pace being a self-understanding problem. God made us a certain way. Too, g- too big a pace reveals that we don't understand our own limitations. And this morning, we're going to talk about pace being a habitual problem, right? We form habits in our lives. And in that category, I've got a great resource here that if you guys who are part of POPs, you know about this resource, uh, well appreciated. I appreciate Nick Missios keeping us in touch with good, helpful resources through our POPs ministry. POPs, by the way, is a ministry to dads who are raising kids. And so I want to give this book away to this morning uh, to, let's see, let me pick the, a dad who's got the most kids in tow right now. So how many guys have more than three kids at home with you right now? Dads? Really? I'll kick them all out? All right, stand up if you got more than three kids at home. Okay, you're allowed to do that. All right, wait, wait, wait. you don't have to clap for him. That's not an accomplishment. I mean, I mean they, they could be raising terrorists for all we know. All right, how many guys have uh, more than four kids at home? Uh, yeah, it does. Don't even have to ask that, Todd. That's a biblical. How many have more than five? All right. Well, in spite of the fact that he's not here, is that the only contestant? How appropriate. How appropriate is that? All right. Uh, here, Drew, run that back for me. Stand up just for one second. Congratulations on habits of the household. Habits are important. That's going to help you get some good ones at home. And if you don't have that resource, you can, I think you can go on our website and find out more about it, or, or you can order that, or you can just run down Nick and say, hey, man, where do I find that? Because habits are things that we do that don't mean they're bad or they're good. They're just things that we do over and over and over again. So good habits are important. And we're going to learn a little bit about that today. All right. Let's start with a thought from Mr. Jordan Rayner, who's written a book recently about pace called Redeeming Your Time. He says, I'm swamped. I've said it. You've said it. We've all said it at one point or another. Maybe you're in a season of feeling swamped right now. You roll out of bed each morning, exhausted from not getting enough sleep. You pull open your phone to find a dozen text messages from the ridiculous, another gif of a dancing dog to the exhausting, can you bring Chloe home from church tonight? If you manage to squeeze in a few minutes of quiet time, you're quickly interrupted by your calendar, notifying you of today's meeting that you didn't have enough time to fully prepare for. At work, the struggle continues. Your to-do list seems to be getting longer, not shorter. Your day is filled with back-to-back meetings with no time to think in between. When you're finally able to carve out some time to focus on some real work, that familiar ambient anxiety creeps in, leading you to question if the project you're working on is the right thing for you to be focused on at that moment. After work, you rush back home to have a dinner with your family or friends, sitting across from the people you care about the most. You're there, but you're not really there. As your brain is trying to do the thinking, 
you didn't have time to do during the day. After dinner, it's the mad rush of all rushes, clean up, help the kids with their homework, and pray that everyone finds time for a bath. After streaming your favorite show, studying for an exam, or cramming in a few minutes of reading, you check email one last time, go to bed, only to wake up and do it all over again the next day. Not too distant from what life really, really does feel like for a lot of us or some version of that. Uh, Let's face it, we are living in times that for a variety of reasons, pace can be a rather frustrating thing to manage. It is filled with endless days where we find ourselves doing things, but wishing we had done something else, wishing we had included something else, wishing we hadn't done so much of that and had done a little bit more of this. Right, so when I, I hear this sort of a presentation, it reminds me of some thoughts from an old friend who has navigated much of our theology named the Apostle Paul. Here Paul talking about life from this standpoint. Romans chapter 7 says this, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Take note of that because he's going to say that four times in this short passage. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that... When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way your word informs our experiences, our lives. It takes us behind the scenes. It gives us insights into that which we would not know on our own. It is divinely revealed. So Lord, these words are speaking to us about the life that we experience as we do life every day. As we do it this week, Lord, there are insights here. And Lord, every one of us have developed patterns and routines and practices that we call habits. Lord, there are some things informing our habits. They're not just happening. So Lord, would you step into that category for us this morning? And would you inform our habits from your word? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not not sure Paul had in mind the issue of pace when he was saying these particular things. Uh, Maybe, maybe not. He was thinking something else. 
But he describes some things here that, that just feel like life, right? That just feels like what we experience when we're doing life. A couple of phrases here that when you venture out your front door, take these phrases with you, like in verse 21. Uh, I find it a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Nobody gets to escape that. And no one should be surprised by it. You should only be surprised by that if you've never read Romans chapter 7 or other places in Scripture. Many other places in Scripture that describe what he says is a warfare, a waging of warfare. So right now, as you sit in this room, there is a war going on in your existence. Did you, did you know that? Whether you're really, really conscious of it or not, because sometimes you are, or you're just kind of getting a break from it right now. Inside of you, the Bible's informing us, there is this war that's going on. And it will be with us all week this week. It will be a guest until we draw our last breath and stand in heaven. The war will be there. One, one commentator spoke of Romans 7 verse 13 said, whichever interpretation you take, and, and he's referencing that because some people would approach Romans chapter 7 and say, well, that's Paul describing his life before he was converted. Before the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and makes him a new creation, uh, more modern commentators would, would say that, and, and, and they'd have good grounds to say that. But then you'd have more, many reformers and, and many other commentators who would say, no, this is Paul describing life as a believer. This is the experience he had as a Christian, right? I'm not going to enter that debate. I will say this. Whether you think it's Paul at this point in his life or Paul at this point in his life, the words are elsewhere in Scripture describing your life. So however you want to conclude, Paul, I'll leave that up to you. What you can't deny is the description Paul gives here are found in multiple places in Scripture, that you and I live a warfare existence. There are things pulling on us in different directions. So this commentator says, whichever interpretation we take, this passage drives home the profound and perplexing disorder that sin introduces into the human mind. A disorder that can be healed only by the even more profound grace of God in the gospel. So what's the nature of this profound and perplexing disorder? And what are the forces behind this warfare? Well, our habits are filled with the stuff of this warfare, right? So uh, today I just want to highlight that pace, what's crowding our lives, what's filling our lives is a habitual problem, right? One of the things that makes pace so difficult is we develop habits that fill up our lives. So let's, let's try and understand habits a little bit today and get some ground here. here here's a definition for habit. Oxford says habits are a settled or regular tendency. That's a good word, right? It's what we tend to do or practice, especially one that is hard to give up, right? That's where habits begin to take up a little different space in our lives because it's hard to stop doing a habit. Webster says a settled tendency or usual <clears throat> manner of behavior an acquired mode of behavior, right? So you didn't always do this. You acquired that, that has become nearly or completely involuntary. Habits become those things. We just do them, right? We, we don't even know when this started happening anymore. We just, we just keep doing it. Webster also includes addiction in that category. James Clear wrote a, few year, a couple of years ago a, a book called Atomic Habits. Some of you may have read this book. It's a, not a Christian book. It's just a 
book to help people plan their lives and deal with things. He says, a habit is a routine or behavior that is performed regularly and in many cases, automatically. Right? So you and I have habits and we've stopped paying attention to them because we just do those things out of the pattern that they have created over time. So there's a lot of automaticness going on in our lives. And so when you and I go to manage pace in our lives, habits are playing, they're taking up real estate in the pace world and we might need to pay more attention to them. But habits have great potential in our lives, both for bad and for good, right? So in, in this book, James Clear in Atomic Habits, he tells a story about his own life where in, he was in high school, he was an athlete, and, and one day a friend was swinging a baseball bat and the bat flew out of his hands and landed right in his face. And brain damage ensued, his face was caved in, uh, but, but he, he goes on in his life and, and, and rebuilds his life. And, and he credits some of the rebuilding process to establishing helpful habits. Here's how he tells the story. He says, six years after I had been hit in the face with a baseball bat, flown to the hospital and placed into a coma, I was selected as the top male athlete at Denison University and named to the ESPN Academic All-American team, an honor given to just 33 players across the country. By the time I graduated, I was listed in the school record books in eight different categories. That same year, I was awarded the university's highest academic honor, the President's Medal. I hope you'll forgive me if it's, this sounds boastful. To be honest, there was nothing legendary or historic about my athletic career. I never ended up playing professionally. However, looking back on those years, I believe I accomplished something just as rare. I fulfilled my potential. And I believe the concepts in this book can help you fulfill your potential as well. We all face challenges in life. This injury was one of mine, and the experience taught me a critical lesson. Listen. Changes that seem small and unimportant at first will compound into remarkable results if you're willing to stick with them for years. Now, let that go in two directions because biblically the Bible talks about good habits and bad habits, right? So small, unimportant, incremental movements in a good direction or in a not so good direction become profound in our lives. He says, we all deal with setbacks, but in the long run, the quality of our lives often depends on the quality of our habits. With the same habits, you'll end up with the same results. But with better habits, anything is possible. And so... The phrase, I don't know where I heard this phrase, but, you know, just more street level, street savvy sounding. Hey, dude, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're just going to keep on getting what you got. That's kind of what he's saying here. If you develop some habits and some routines in your life and just keep doing them, just keep on doing them. Don't ever disrupt them. Just keep practicing them, practicing them, practicing them. Your life is is more than likely just going to keep on feeling and looking and doing what it's doing. So... Sometimes for you and I to experience change in the gospel sense of God at work in our lives, we, we need some help in changing some of the routines and spaces of our lives. Let me just make a quick comment here because I don't usually quote from guys that I don't even, this guy could be a Buddhist for all I know. Um, but, you know, if you're a person who, who reads 
uh, executive books, productive management books, uh, just reads other material that, that, that don't feature themselves in, in, in scripture. Um, by the way, if you grew up and were educated, you, you've been reading stuff like that your whole life. You know, you've been reading lots of people who wrote something that's interesting to read, that might even be helpful to read. Right? I don't know if my auto mechanic, I don't know personally what he believes, but he knows how to fix my car. And that's important. And so when I get around him, I've had all kinds of people working on my house. I don't know personally their walk with God or not walk with God, but they, they know how to do stuff. Right? And so we benefit from common knowledge. Uh, a few years ago, I mean, this issue of pace is not a new issue for me. Uh, pace is a problem for me. And so a number of years ago, someone recommended me the book Deep Work uh, by Cal Newport. That was extremely helpful in my life. You know, it was a, a book about how your neurology functions and how your thinking patterns function. And, and he made one particular point that just stuck out to me, just that the human mind is capable of focusing on one thing at a, at a profound level for about three, four, maybe five hours. And then that's it. You kind of, kind of run out of gas after that point. Well, the older I've gotten, I've had to realize concentration in the morning is different than concentration in the afternoon is different than concentration in the evening, right? I mean, I'm an engineer by degree. And then, so I've got a lot of math background, but the older my kids got, the more they would bring to me math problems, the later in the evening, I mean, I know how to do math, but I would be like, oh, can we talk about this in the morning? <laughs> it's like my mind just stopped functioning at night the way it used to at some point in some age. So actually, I, I took Cal Newport's concepts and, and learned some things from that, incorporated some other things that I've been studying. And so the pattern of my life has become I, I give my mornings to just being with the Lord in study, in prayer, in planning, in, in pondering. Uh, reading, just thought work kind of activities. And I try to give my afternoons to people, try to give my evenings to family and just created a pattern for that. I, I think whatever your habits are and whatever works for you, uh, it, you'd be wise to figure out some rhythms that, that are helpful. But, but let me also say this, because I realize all of us, you may not be a book reader, but you're reading stuff. You may not listen to some particular podcast, but you're listening to somebody talk in your ear. And you know, what's more important than, Hey, is there any good ideas there that I can get? Cause there are good ideas there. What's more important as a Christian is, is that there are always, I'm going to say it this way. And if you have a question, come back and ask me, there are always ideas underneath your ideas. And those ideas need to sound like the Bible. They need to inform your ideas. And I am, I am extremely concerned that we are a people who live at surface ideas because it's so available to us. We read so much. We get around so much. So whatever you are taking in, whether it's, it's books that are written at executive ideas and administrative elements and, and how to do stuff and get stuff done, hey, if that's where you're at, make sure you have biblical ideas that those ideas have to answer to before you go implementing them in your life. Uh, maybe you're into psychology or therapy, anything from Oprah Winfrey's opinions about how the human body and human experience works to somebody who's got PhD stuff behind their name. Uh, make sure those ideas are answering to God's ideas. Uh, if you're into Twitter, 
if you do social media, if you watch the news at night, make sure those ideas answer to something. Don't just buy them because they dress like you and talk like you. Weigh them as to whether or not they come from the scriptures. Right? So when I, benefits in habit world, there's some good books out there that would help you create some new habits. I think Stephen Covey has written a book a number of years ago, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. There's some good stuff there. But I want to inform you biblically about habits in the world that you live in. So, so let me give you an understanding of the world in which we are building our habits. These are the facts that come from God. First, we are living in a particular theological setting. And this is what I find is absent from most people talking about these issues and most talking points on news at night. I might agree with them at a surface level, but there are deeper reasons that I'm looking for than what they're telling me. Right. Number one, uh, this setting that you and I live in is a world of pleasures and of difficulties. And when it comes to forming habits, just go with me, right? Pleasures make you want to move in one direction and difficulties make you want to move in a different one, don't they? So when I go to just create habits, pleasures are going to attract me and difficulties are going to repel me. Now, before you think all the pleasures are problematic, the pleasures in our lives are there because of the wiring of the creator. God put pleasures in your life. Right? So he gave us the ability to enjoy things. Right? So stoicism is not an answer right, to our lives. Don't enjoy anything that's a sin. No, no, God intended you to enjoy stuff. He gave you senses so that you could interact with your world around you. And when those senses interact, they see things. They smell things. They taste things. They hear stuff. And every one of those senses makes me want to either move towards something or away from it. But God gave me those. God created satisfaction and reward. So when I go to do habits, the things that are deeply satisfying to me, part of that's because God wired me a certain way. I get satisfied by certain stuff. You shouldn't have to apologize for that. It's part of the unique way God created you. There are certain rewards. There are things that you do them. It's like, ah, oh, I want to do that again. That was, ah, that was fun. That was a blast. God intended for you. God made us to be stimulated. That's an important word. Because stimulation means something out there interacts with something in here. And, and something goes off in me. I, I kind of come to life a little bit more. It, it kind of captures my attention. Listen, I know I'm being real detailed here, but when you go to do your life, this is where your habits are coming from. Something stimulates something and you want to do that again. And you want to do it again and again and again and again. Or if it stimulates something bad and you want to get away from it. So you'll never do that, but you'll always do this. And we're, we're building habits into our lives. Secondly, we live in a world with an ongoing presence of corruption and evil. And I and make a differentiation there. And you'll see in another verse later on, even in these verses in Romans, sin is described and evil is described as well. So both of these are in our world. Everything that we touch and, and what we are is both corrupted and evil is present with us. So third, a human body that engages these pleasures and difficulties in ways that I must be aware of. You cannot afford to live in this environment, in the world that we have inhabit, 
and be ignorant of what we are made of. Right? One of the things that you find out from Scripture, I think the best illustration I can use, and the Scripture actually uses it as well, is we are made of flammable material. I don't know if you knew that about yourself, but you know, if, if you had been doused in gasoline, you're really, you know, apart from the carcinogenic issue that your body now has gasoline all over it, um, as long as you stay away from a flame, you're okay. It stinks, unless you like the smell of gasoline. It's, it's getting in proximity to the flame that introduces you to the problem, right? Because... There's certain dynamics to gasoline. Gasoline and fire get along in a particular way. And you have to get them to interact with each other at some level. And then you have combustion. Up until that moment, you don't. And really, that's a good illustration for temptation in the world. And the fact that some of us interact with certain things that... We go up in flames. And then other people interact with those same things and they don't. Right? It's kind of, they got more like a fire and water relationship with that particular thing. Which is so important that you don't impose your rules on everybody else. And it's also so important that you know something about yourself. What somebody else might be free to do, you should never do. Because you know yourself. That that entices something in you that awakens something in you that, that when it gets awakened, you're going to go up in flames. You're not going to just deal with that objectively and wisely. You're going to go up in flames, right? Genesis chapter three takes us to the moment that we get introduced to the subject of temptation. Verse six says, so when that's an important word, this is a previously existing situation, but when, so we have a new moment here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. <laughs> Right? She saw something. Oh, and by the way, don't make this verse mean something it's not supposed to mean. Where did she get the ability for food to be good? She hasn't sinned yet. God. For things that she sees to be desired. God. For the value of obtaining wisdom. God. Right? In and of themselves, these things aren't a problem. She was supposed to grow in wisdom and knowledge forever and ever and ever. She was supposed to do that. God had made food. And it was desirable and tasty and good. And God had put things in the world that were desirous in the human heart. The problem is when they kind of got out of bounds. They took on a different level of force in a person's life. So this is where temptation gets a little bit hard because there are good things in our lives that fill up our habits that there's something else about them that makes them a problem. They're not, they're not evil and bad in and of themselves. It's something about the way they interact with us in a particular moment that makes them troublesome, right? First John 2, you guys who have been studying this in the school of the word, 
do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that's in the world, right? When you go out your door in the morning, take this phrase with you, all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father. It's from the world, right? So you and I are doing life and there's something out there that is in a different place. It's not in the father's ordained place in this fallen world. It's in a different place. This is, this is a tough passage, right? Do not love the world, but, but you're called to love a lot of things that look like they share space with the world. So this, this can't be the undoing of everything the Bible's called us to do, right? Husbands, love your wives. Well, I'm not supposed to love. Love your kids. Uh, love the beauty of what God has made. I mean, we're all kinds of things that we're supposed to be drawn to and love and enjoy. But there is something about the world that you and I are interacting with that needs to be treated carefully. And our habits often drift off in that direction. Proverbs 6 says this, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Verse 24, why? To preserve you from something. To preserve you from the evil woman. All right, how many... Guys, don't, don't, don't turn the Bible. Don't do this. I don't know how to, who teaches us to do this. But as soon as the Bible sounds like it's saying no to us. I, I, you know, years ago, that was the moment where everybody wanted to push back and say legalism. They just threw the legalism flag. Every time you heard no, don't do that. Yes, do that. No, yes, no, yes, no. Legalism, that's legalism. I don't know what it is today. Nobody uses the term legalism anymore. It's something else though. It's, it's not grace. It's something else. But, but here the Bible is just standing up a principle. There are commandments. Uh, these are, this is not a killjoy verse, by the way. It's not where the Bible shows up and takes all the fun out of life. You ever feel that way? Proverbs 6, there's commandments in here and they're a lamp. There's teachings and they're a light. And there's reproofs and discipline. And they're preserving us from something, from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Can you put those two words together? Adultery is a 10 commandment issue. It's clearly not God's will. And yet the Bible straps it together with smooth tongue. It's going to sound right. It's going to appeal to you. It's going to be attractive. Do not, as another command, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Stop. Where did the beauty come from? God, thank you for playing along. God. Matter of fact, this same word in the original language is used to describe God. So there is beauty all around us. You and I interact with beauty. There are things that, that come across my pathway and my response to it is to notice it's beauty. It really is beautiful. It registers with me. There's an attractional element to that beauty that makes me look twice. But yet the Bible then stands in and says, do not, do not desire her beauty. 
in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. All right, this is where I talk about ideas that are underneath ideas. Can I just use the word attraction? Attraction. Y'all heard anything about attraction when you listen in the world today? You heard of same-sex attraction? All right, well, this is not same-sex attraction. What is this? This is opposite-sex attraction. Right? This is the Bible describing something about a guy is walking through life. He looks over and he sees a beautiful woman. And her beauty does something to him. It reaches back because he's enticeable. God has made us this way. We can interact with our environment. So something about her attracts him to her. So can we all establish this fact? Here's the idea underneath this principle. This guy is attracted to that woman. Everybody with me? And then the Bible turns around and says, do not. Does this mean all of a sudden, just because the Bible says this, he thinks she's ugly now? She's repulsive. I want nothing to do with her. Oh, oh, oh. You know, is that what I have to have? I have to have that in order to obey what God says. Now, the Bible is legitimizing, hey, dude, you are attracted to her beauty. You are attracted to her beauty. Do not take that into your heart and act on it. All right, so why do we get so far into human history and we take that same law of attraction, we attach it to same-sex attraction, and we act as though all these rules are gone? Because you see, if I have same-sex attraction, then I should be able to act on that attraction. Isn't that the principle that's being talked about today? Yes. But what the Bible's already done is the Bible has already gone after the attractional element. So I I know that when I say this stuff, I can say, what are you, not sympathetic to people with same-sex attraction? Well, my question to you is, is the Proverbs not sympathetic to the opposite sex attraction problem in this room? Can I say that there's more people in this room who have a problem with opposite sex attraction than who have a problem with same sex attraction? So the Bible's not closing its eyes and it's not trying to be unkind. There are lots of guys and girls here who have opposite track. You notice your head turns. You see something. You are drawn to ponder it further. You are drawn to even act on it in some way. And the Bible's acknowledging that, and it's turning right around and say, that might be what's going on in you. Do not act on that. So when we interact with same-sex attraction, we're just pulling it into the same conversation. We live in a fallen world. There are attractions that are out of bounds for us, whether they're opposite-sex attractions or they're same-sex attractions. Now, where this gets off the leash and becomes a habit in our lives is in verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned. How close can you get to this beauty and still not go up in flames? Because you're made of something flammable. How many of you guys know verse 27 is not about clothing? You get that, right? It's about proximity. It's about you being aware. I'm made of something. And if I get close enough, if I keep acting on this and I keep getting nearer and nearer to it, it will reach back to me in a certain way. And I will be on fire. 
And when the fire starts, it, it becomes a different thing to put that fire out than, rather than to never have it in the first place. So this is the nature of habits, right? This is, this is what's going on when you and I get around stuff that we start doing over and over and over again. This is the inner workings of that. And there's another phrase here that Paul uses in Romans chapter 6, where habits, what he calls the, the presentation principle, this particular commentator says. Here's the presentation principle, because habits are when you and I repeatedly present ourselves to things. That's how it becomes a habit. I don't just do it once. I present myself to it again and again and again and again. And then it's automatic. And now I don't even notice that I'm doing it. Right? Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's an interesting potential thing Paul says. That sin can operate in you in a way that it now has force and it's making you do some things. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you're under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So here's the presentation principle. If you present yourself, if you surrender yourself, I'm available. Take me where you want me to go. I'm going to cooperate with you. Then the Bible warns us, then we are setting up an enslaving relationship by presenting ourselves. See, this just informs me. I'm made of stuff and the world has a nature to it. And it's interacting with me a certain way. When commentator says, Paul invokes what we might call the presentation principle. You are the slave of the person to whom you present your life. So by all means, present yourself to God. Now, now be very careful here, because as I said earlier, there are some things in and of themselves, they're not unrighteous. They're not sinful. The problem becomes when it ventures into the habit category and it becomes too much of that. In and of itself, not a problem. It's the way we're going about it. It's our dependency upon, and it's the level of control that this might have over us, right? So I can't stand up before you and say, screen time is inherently unrighteous. There's nothing from the Bible that says, if I look at something and it's information and there's things for me to follow and people's thoughts to interact, there's nothing inherently unrighteous in that. But how many of us recognize screen time can become so big in our lives that it's pushing other things out. It's making life feel cramped. It's making us feel frustrated. It's it's creating a pace that we can't manage. Gaming. I I have, see, this is where, you know, pastors need to be careful not to overreact to things because I have terrible stories that I could tell you about people's gaming habits Stories about binging on gaming and the amount of hours without sleep and without food 
that just get drawn into playing online games for hours and hours and hours. Now listen, there are some of you here that are like, what the heck is wrong with that guy? I just go out and fish and shoot stuff. Um, all right, good for you. And you maybe don't get that guy at all, but there are some people in this room that when, when you get around gaming, it, it awakens something in you. There's something about the way you're wired that you get enticed by it and you enjoy it in some kind of a way that you go up in flames. And next thing you know, hours and hours and hours are being spent gaming. Is gaming wrong? No. It's something else that's at work here that's becoming controlling. And there's lots of areas of our lives. Could be your sports enthusiasm. The amount of time you spend engaging sports. Could be eating. Eating can be this. For some folks could be entertainment in and of themselves. These are not wrong things. And so we don't try to fix the problem by pulling them over here into a wrong category. This doesn't work, by the way, because anybody who reads their Bible for a little while will, will get it out immediately and say, the Bible doesn't prohibit that. And I don't, I don't like the way you preach because you're prohibiting things the Bible doesn't prohibit. Okay, well, this is not about prohibition. This is about you knowing yourself. And whether you're creating habits in your life that are showing up in ways that are now becoming destructive to you. And just allowing God to show us that. Right? Verse 12 in Romans 6 issues this command. Don't let sin reign in your body to make you obey it. So in other words, sin wants to reign. It wants to do its own thing. And it wants to make you obey. And so in these passages, there's sin and then there's evil as well. And I, and I think sin, the corruption that's in this world, I would differentiate these two. Not necessarily the Bible doesn't go to great lengths in this category, so listen to this carefully. Sin, to me, operates more like cancer does in your body. It, by nature, cancer just does what it does. It's not personal, it's business, right? Cancer shows up, it, 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 doesn't, have, it doesn't even know your name. It just shows up and it starts going to work and it's anti-cell and it messes up everything else going on around it. That's just the nature of cancer. Well, that's what sin is like in the world. Evil, on the other hand, has a face in scripture. When it shows up, there's a person behind it. And that person knows you as a person and knows some things about you. So, so evil can show up for you in a very personal way. And, and, and when we see evil interact with personalities... Um, Adam, Adam and Eve got a particular type of temptation that was well-suited for them in the Garden of Eden, one tree, and everything that God had done could not have been a temptation, but that one thing can. So for you, I, I don't know how easily I could be tempted by trees. Probably not. I'm not a big tree person. But for them, that was the right thing to go to. When Jesus gets tempted, you remember the temptations that, Jesus bring, uh, that Satan brings to Jesus? They're appropriate for the Son of God. Right? He's going to give Jesus the kingdoms of this world. How many guys have, have never been tempted with all the kingdoms in this world? I'm just curious. Apparently, that's unrealistic for me. I wouldn't know what to do with them. I, I wouldn't know how to manage them. So, you know, Satan doesn't come find me and say, hey, Keith, how about all the kingdoms of this world? Never had to deal with that temptation. Just confessing that today. Uh, Jesus did. They were particularly suited. And this is the nature of... Temptation, right? It finds you in particular. All right, so we've got these habit things going on. Let me just give you some thoughts here to finish with. We've got habits going on in our lives. Those habits are 
combination of things. There's us involved in them. There's, there are things that we are satisfied by, that we enjoy, that we're enticed toward. So we might want to figure out some things about us because we, we find pleasure in this, so we run toward it. We, we find difficulty in that, so we run away from it. And we, we create the routines of our day and our week. And we're staying away from some stuff, and maybe that stuff is really important. And we're running towards things, and maybe that stuff is not as priority. We have to reorganize our lives. But, but can you ask yourselves a few hard questions here? Can I, can I mess with your world for a moment? Because what's really important in the habit world is not just what I'm doing, but why am I doing what I'm doing? Right? And please don't assume, I just said this, but please don't assume just because something shows up on the list, it means that thing is unrighteous in and of itself. It does not mean that. It's where it takes on too big a piece of real estate in my life. That's when I need to be concerned, right? So here, just some why questions. Why do I, and this is for all of us worry warts in the worry wart club, why do I have the habit of so much fearful meditation? How many of you guys, if you could hook a monitor up to your brain, I have an app that monitors how long my air conditioner is on. So it tells me at the end of the day, air conditioner ran for this long. If you had that kind of an app attached to your brain and every day at the end of the day, it kind of told you, you worried this much time today. Some people would have like, eh, I don't know, whatever. Some people would have, or for those of us who have this going on, why? What, what is it about your life experience, about your personality, about the way you're wired that for you, it's so easy to default, to fear and worry and everything's a problem. And oh my gosh, well, this could happen next. And then after that, you know, that'll happen. And you know, you're one of those people that within seconds, you can be living under a bridge homeless. I mean, just within seconds, your whole life is going to unravel and you're going to be in the worst possible condition. Have you explored why that is in your life? Because that, you know, do not be anxious. So we are kind of violating the scriptures in that category. This isn't like, hey, can you be anxious a little bit? Can we dial that back? Okay, now this is not a dial it back issue. All right, how about this one? Why do you have the habit of taking in so much social media? Do you have any idea how much of your habits, how much of your time and your routines are spent in social media? And what is that doing that you're drawn to? What does that awaken in you that is pleasurable and rewarding and satisfying? What exactly is that? And, and be honest with the Holy Spirit as you explore these things. Because if that's too big in your life, there's a reason why it's too big. It's too big because I like it. Well, what do you like about it? Well, I don't know. I just kind of like looking at people's lives. Okay, that doesn't sound too bad, but can you like that a little bit less and maybe make some room for some other stuff? I like comparing. I like comparing how other people die. Honestly, I, I like it when people flame out and fail. Sorry. I like to watch them screw up just like me. It makes me feel better about my screw. I mean, why do you do this stuff? There's reasons why. Habits get formed because we have little internal compulsions. How about this? Why do I spend so much time listening to social commentary? Is there a lot of social commentary in the world today? Everybody's got a comment about this event happened. It used to be called news. It's not news anymore. It's social commentary. 
News was when somebody said it was a red van ran over a blue dog. That's news. Just the facts. Not whether red and blue represent political systems and why the blue dog deserved to be run over by the red van. You know, that, that's social commentary. And so when we engage this stuff, question, what, what are you drawn to? What makes you want to go back for more? I mean, aren't the talking points from last night's news kind of similar, whatever they're going to be tonight? Can you take the night off? No, no. I need an update. I need another set of guests to be interviewed tonight on the talk shows to cross-examine the idiots on the other side and what they're doing. Because I just need one more reason why I don't like those guys. I'm, okay. Figure out something about us that makes me want to move toward that. Is it, is it fear? Right? I mean, sometimes this masquerades as, as godly righteousness. I need to stand up for righteousness. Or are you just another person in the world who's terribly afraid your way of life is going to get messed up by somebody else? Those CRT people, the racial guys, the, that group over there, just, they're going to mess with my world. And I'm afraid of that. So I, I just got to keep up to date a lot. Uh, is it tribalism? This is a big issue. Tribalism is a big issue. It's a big issue for the body of Christ because this is our tribe. Tribalism is, is the world consolidating a few ideas together and inviting you to agree with those ideas. But the way they do it is, is they alienate other ideas regularly and they take shots at that. And this is the concern I would have, and I do have this concern for Christians. You know you've given into tribalism when you are totally on board for groupthink and you no longer use the Bible and the Holy Spirit leading you to come into agreement with ideas. Groupthink is when this group over here hates everything that group over there is doing, no matter what. And it's crazy that that group over there can't come up with any good ideas. Not a one. Every one of them is stupid. Uh, really? Is that really true? Or are you just giving in to groupthink? I'm just going with... The interpretation and presentation of life as, and by the way, this is how books are published. This is what's being heard on news at night. This is what your conspiracy blog is pumping out. What it's not doing is giving you the ideas underneath these ideas. It's not pulling you back to the Bible to analyze, how do I think about this stuff? Can I, can I just warn every Christian here? If, if you are allergic to anything that sounds woke, Right? Do not read Isaiah chapter 58 because you will think, oh my gosh, Isaiah's gone woke. <laughs> I'm just, I hope I made you curious. Go read Isaiah 58 when you go home today. And if you didn't know that was in the Bible, I just tweaked it a little bit and you heard somebody hawking these kinds of ideas. Would you conclude, good night, the dude's woke, man. Uh, okay, maybe not. All right, so there's reasons why we're doing stuff. Why? Why do you have such an enlarged habit of gaming? Why is that so big? Why is that taking up so much space? Why is it in our habits so severely? Why do you watch so much TV, binge watch Netflix? Why is that just a default setting that's easy for you? Uh, I'm not going to read this quote, but can everybody, especially if you're a parent, here's a Father's Day gift, especially to fathers here. I, I put a quote in your outline. Uh, you can, I think it may be in your published outline, but it's definitely in the app on site from Kelly Capick's book, You're Only Human. And it, it asks... It answers this question. Why do I have habits of over-parenting or super-parenting? 
Why am I trying to get my kids to do everything, be everything, be successful, be amazing? Why am I doing that? Because I can promise you this, that effort is showing up in your habits and in your pace. And some of the craziness of our lives as we raise our kids is we are so overscheduled in some categories because we have a, a desire for our kids that's become unmanageable. And it's too much for them. It's too much for us. It's just a lot. So can you go read that quote on your own and, and just say, Lord, do you have any help for me or grace for me in that category? All right, here's where I want to finish up today. This issue of pace, the crowding of our lives, too much in it, too many people, too much stuff to interact with, too much information, being exhausted, dragging ourselves from one setting to another and feeling like I just don't have anything left in me, but I got to just keep on going. All right, that pace issue, it's a habitual issue. Our habits take up a lot of time and energy and space in our lives. And we live in an environment where there is a rule of reality going on that Paul talks about. And I want to pray for some folks here this morning before we walk out of here. Because you may be in a place where your habits are severely in control of your life. And, and you'll notice I spent most of my time here today not talking about the vice habits, right? So I haven't brought up pornography. I haven't brought up alcohol. I haven't brought up drug elements. Because right? that may be some of your categories. But we probably tend to live most of our lives in, in categories that are a little bit more socially acceptable. Food and gaming and social media, etc. But the question is, are, are you finding yourself out of control? Doing the things I don't want to do. I sound like Paul. I'm doing the things I don't want to do over and over and over again. Listen, that is having a terrible effect on your walk with God, on your affections for God. You live in turmoil. I promise you, if you practice habits that you are convicted about are at odds with God, you either have to change the habits or you have to get away from God. And you're doing that whether you know it or not. It's uncomfortable to get near to God when there's stuff going on inside of us that we're not willing to deal with. Your knee-jerk response will be, God, can you back up a little bit more? Oh, okay, I'll back up a little bit more then. And I'll back up a little bit more. I, I just need you at a little farther distance. I don't want to stop believing in you. I just need you to back off a little bit. Um, your habits are not worth that. They're keeping you from the thing that your heart treasures the most. The gift of the nearness of God, of experiencing him in our lives. But our habits can show up here. So I don't know where Seth is. Seth, go ahead and come back up here, buddy. One last passage and then we'll pray. Romans 7, again, Paul says, So I, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be 
to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, this is the moment where the gospel invades our habits, right? And there's a great little quote underneath it. I don't have time to, to look into it, but just to say this, some, again, we, we don't deal with the Bible enough. So does that mean Jesus has come? So therefore I'm never going to have this warfare anymore. And I'm never going to have to fight a battle again. I just need to acknowledge the delivering power of Jesus. And I, and I'm done with this habit problem. Is that, is that what this is saying? No, what I just described to you is heaven. In heaven, I will never have to put off anything. I will never have to fight another day. There will be no war in heaven. I am not in heaven. So this morning, sometimes God just needs to show up and shake our world. He needs to come near to us in a way that we'll turn loose some habits in our lives. That doesn't mean the war is over in that category. And some of you are here this morning, and I have my own stories of habits that have done this in my life. And God is at work in doing that. This is a call for us to recognize some things can capture us and lay hold of our lives. But thanks be to God, there's there's a remedy in the here and now for that. And there's an ultimate remedy forever. This will not be our story forever. And by the way, it's not the Apostle Paul's story forever in his life. I think he referred to real moments where sin was so real and so engaging. You just felt captured by it. That was not Paul all the time. Paul experienced the power of God. Paul experienced deliverance. Paul experienced the ability to be set free from those things and go do things for the kingdom. And that's God's will for us as well. Habits. They're powerful. You know, I don't ever want us to become a church that all we do is just interact with information, although teaching is in the Bible. And that's it. That's all we do. We're a church that believes in the right now here presence of God. We believe that God manifests his presence. He can ramp it up. He can turn it up in different ways. And God can show up in your life. It's not just information that we interact with. So right now, this morning, God could interact with you and your habit right now in a different way. In a way that's different than whatever you tried to do last week. Whatever book you may have read in the past. God could right now this morning interact with your habit and he could shake it in such a way that the bolts begin to come out of it. Or he could put something in place that helps you go into some habits that are powerful and helpful. But that's in the here and now. That's why I don't hesitate to ask us to respond to him in the here and now. So what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you to invite God into your habits maybe your addictions or maybe your longings to have new habits that just don't seem to be getting a foothold in your life. And and the habits are relentless. They're not kind to you. They will not be easy. I'm not going to make this easy. So with everybody sitting right now, if you'd like for God to interact with your habits, I, I want you to get up from where you are. I want you to come forward. I want us to pray for folks this morning. Let's pray for the power of God because habits do not go down easy. They don't volunteer. Your habits never show up in your life and say, hey, I'm kind of tired. Want to be done with me? Habits are not that way. They stay and they stay and they overstay their welcome and they spread out and they make themselves at home and you stop noticing them, et cetera, et cetera. So if you, 
have felt like just the habits of my life. I've got some, maybe, maybe you're on the negative side of that. You've got some controlling habits that are just ruling the day. And you want God to come shake those things. Or maybe you're a person here and you're like, you know, Keith, let me just say the habits I don't have. I'm, I'm not in my word. I don't pray. Got a lot of FaceTime, screen time going on. I, I don't get around things of God very well. Don't worship very often. Or maybe there's some categories that God wants to give you some new habits in your life. How many of you guys would like a new habit from God? Or maybe you'd just rather walk out of here and keep on doing what you're doing so you can keep on getting what you got. Because that's the other story, right? So there's some grace available this morning. We believe God meets with us. He just does stuff. He just deposits things in our hearts. So I'd love for some guys who are full of faith just to believe God's a God who meets with us. Just come, come join these guys in prayer. Just come surround them with some faith and just let's just believe God to come among the habits of our lives. Not everybody up here is up here because they've got some terrible thing that they need to get rid of in their life. It, it may be a good thing that just for them has grown to a place that's maybe too big and they just got to figure out how to have wisdom and manage it. Let's stand up together. And again, you can come join these guys in prayer. I'm going to pray for us just for a moment. And then I'm going to let these guys linger this morning with the Lord. Let him hear, let them hear something. And so if we can take our conversation outside and you can go gather your kids from children's ministry, if that's where you need to go, but you're welcome to hang out in the foyer and uh, enjoy the tropical Island out there setting before you go out into the tropical heat outside. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, somewhere in your creative wisdom, you created beings in your image. But unlike you, we were bounded creatures. We have boundaries. We have limits. Lord, you put 24 hours in our day, seven days in our week. You spoke about those patterns in our lives. Because we would be creatures who would create patterns. And we needed to create patterns. We needed regular interactions. We needed regular things to be done. We need to regularly eat and sleep and rest. We need regular times to interact with you and to draw your breath into our souls. But Lord, a lot of other things have been created in these spaces. Lord, we have regular things that we're doing. We have habits in our lives. God, we pray for grace this morning for the habits in our lives. God, would you meet us this morning? Would you meet us as we take on this giant thing of pace that seems to be showing up everywhere? God, would you meet us in the habits of our lives? God, I pray for every person here who's got habits of distraction in their life going on right now. They're just things about our lives that are unsettling to us. We don't like them. We don't have faith for them. They disturb us and we just want to be distracted. So God, we're turning to Netflix. We're turning to screen time. 
maybe turning to physical exercise, maybe turning to eating. Lord, we're just, we're just looking for something to distract us from what's not working in our lives. God, uh, those are tough places. So Lord, maybe we fix that struggle by you infusing faith into those settings. Lord, the things about our lives we just don't like and we're struggling. God, we have tears, we have frustrations. God, would you somehow be the sovereign God who shows up in those places? Make yourself more known. Make us to where we're not so repulsed by those settings, but we have faith for them. We don't have to run from them, Lord. There's some here this morning struggling with pleasures, habits of pleasure. Oh, Lord, pleasure is not a curse word. God, thank you for making us creatures that enjoy things. God, thank you for moment after moment where we can experience something that awakens something of a delight in our soul. Lord, you made us adventurous creatures who were to take in the delights and pleasures of your creation and all of your ideas. And those pleasures should be awakening worship in our hearts. Because our ability to go, ah, that is good, is because you made it good, Lord. Some of us are way too distant from you, Lord, because we don't have a category of pleasures coming from you anywhere. You're a killjoy. And we just find everything else to enjoy and we leave you out. Lord, that was Adam and Eve. They chose knowledge and left you out apart from you. Lord, you would have given them everything that tree could have provided in your time and in your way. But they didn't trust that. So Lord, would you help us manage pleasures in our lives? Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh God, would you liberate us. God, do a a work this morning just to unchain some of us this morning from the pleasures that are owning us, that draw us back again and again and again to closets and spaces and private places where pleasures own us. Lord, they're taking the place of other pleasures that you have for us. Lord, let us run to them. Let us find those pleasures. Lord, let us get rescued from habits and enslavement to pleasures. God, there's some here, our habits are about avoiding difficulty. Lord, we've given into laziness. We've avoided things that are challenging in our lives. Lord, there, there's, we just have an aversion to doing hard. Oh, Lord, we need a revelation from you. God, would you give us insight and faith to stand in difficult places and to see the kingdom of God come. Lord, you called us to subdue the earth. To bring your kingdom into those difficult places. God, would you awaken in us a sense of faith and adventure. This is not easy, but it's glorious. This won't be quick, but it will be worthy. So Father, as we are facing the giant of pace, Lord, would you renovate our habits? 
Would you inform our routines? Would you step into the places where we just do things over and over and over again? And Lord, would you redefine them where you need to? Refocus us where it would be helpful and draw us into a fresh, grace-filled place by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You guys are dismissed and you guys are welcome to pray longer if God's still speaking to you and helping you out. And pray for our VBS this week. We'll see a lot of you guys tomorrow morning, nine o'clock. Be here on time. First day is crazy. Help us get started.